0: Welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, December 13th, otherwise known as International Ice Cream Day, which I feel like there must be more than one of those because it seems like we've had it before and I definitely have heard it elsewhere. Thoughts?
1: I was about to say, it's deserving of a holiday for one. Should be once a week. Favorite ice creams? Favorite is just vanilla bean. Keep it simple.
0: See, I think we had this conversation before. Let's see. Okay, if I can guess what Ben's is...
2: And the only way we would have had this conversation is if it came up as the thing of the day kind of thing. Right. Let's see.
0: Okay. If I can guess what Ben's is, then we've definitely had this conversation. He looks like a mint chocolate chip guy.
2: No. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Mint chocolate chip isn't terrible, but in general, I don't like mixing chocolate flavors with toothpaste Toothpaste. flavors. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's the (laughs) worst. See, I think we have... I feel like I made a joke about like deodorant or something being being an ice yeah. cream
2: flavor. Also, not a fan of like the blue Gatorades, like the Arctic Mist Blast things. Go simple no. green. Terrible. Everything should be a derivative of a fruit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but let me t- let me tell you my ice cream hack, which I probably told the last time we talked about this. <laughs> is uh, if. I- I have chocolate ice cream, I'll put a couple scoops of peanut butter in it, with the logic being, I'm going to enjoy it anyways, and the peanut butter is probably not as bad for you as the ice cream. So it's like kind of a filler.
0: There you go. Nice.
2: Get a little See, bit of protein I, I, in. I
0: would have remembered that, and I don't remember hearing that, so maybe this is a first yeah, for
2: us. That, that late night, when I'm in California, snack game kind of thing. Well, this is,
1: what, this is what every Modern Maker podcast listener is here for, these hot takes on ice cream, so... Well, let's keep this going, or should we go cream. into what we've been working on? Because we missed a week. We've
0: got a lot to catch up on, We nope? did. We've yes. been working right. on extra stuff. Well, you guys were in New York last week, right?
1: Yeah, we were. So, Chris, let's hear what's yeah. on your bench, what video you... You just produced A outfeed and assembly table video.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, kind of on my bench is a bench. Yeah. I guess. Because <laughs> I made a work bench. Um, yeah, so I'm actually going to drop a deuce this week. Woo! Did we decide it's a deuce if it's two in a week? It is. I think we did. That's fair. That's That's double your normal
1: schedule. That's good.
0: Yeah. So, but you know, I'm only going to talk about the workbench since that just came out today. So, or two days ago, if you're listening to this, man, am I glad to have that thing in the shop? Like it makes it so much easier not having the things that you run through your table saw fall on the ground. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I'm actually not getting full use out of it yet because it's still like 75% empty. And the reason that I'm doing that is because one of the next things that I'm going to build later this month is a big storage cabinet for the shop. And I was worried that like I'm going to spend an hour like putting a bunch of things away and choosing where they go and then fill up the other thing and be like, oh, this should really be in here. So I figure, you know what? Just hold off on it. Wait till I have the bulk of where I'm going to be storing things done and then worry about all that. This is the biggest work surface that I've ever had in a shop. I had a couple comments that uh, it was actually, it was funny. So one thing that was kind of an oh crap moment after I finished it was I didn't put a what do you call it a toe kick like you know where you have a gap for your feet to sit under something I didn't do that and I didn't even realize it until after I was like oh shoot should I have put that in because the the tabletop's only overhanging about like three inches on either end Mm. But I think it's okay. I've been, I've worked at it in for probably like, I don't know, three hours or so already, like, you know, sanding and finishing and stuff like that. And I haven't noticed myself standing in any kind of weird position when I'm using it. So if I'm not doing that, then I'm going to assume that everything's okay. That's pretty cool. And from a
1: stan- or from a functional standpoint, it's pretty neat because normally that's just where things go to get lost is underneath the workbench. So, if it's just you can't have dust down there, you can't have screws or whatever you're working right. with fall under there, sounds like a positive to me.
0: One less place to get
1: lost. Exactly. What were the finished dimensions of the top?
0: I'd say it's about six feet long or wide, I guess, and then about mm-hmm. three feet in the other direction.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm let's check back in a month and we'll see how well it's working for you. Cause that's a pretty big assembly table.
0: It is. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be okay. I, I can't imagine it. I mean, unless like, i just like start running out of space or anything like that. I also am kind of thinking about maybe putting it on casters. Um, mm. I don't want to just yet. I, I might eventually put the table saw on a mobile base. So if I do that, then I'll put it on casters too. Just so it matches. Yeah. And then it would alleviate any potential issues with it taking up too much space, but I think it should be good.
1: Cool. Well, I'm sure even if it is a little big or a little small, it's not going to be anything crazy, but no. it'll be cool to hear. So, awesome. And you're like filling out the new shop quite a bit. Oh, yeah. How is uh, how's all that going?
0: Uh, So far, so good. It's uh, You've got yeah. a lot of white walls. Sorry, I, I did to cut yeah. you off,
1: but you've got a lot of blank palette.
0: It's like, a very it's an empty sterile, canvas. sterile environment. No, I know. I think uh, this next piece that I build should help that quite a bit. Actually, these two pieces together, I think, Will, because yeah, before this, it's been like... Pretty much like a sawhorse and a piece of plywood in front of a table saw, and then just like white background for the most part. So right. now having the workbench in front of the table saw, and then having this piece that's going to be for storage. Which if if people um, follow me on Instagram, they might have seen the other day I put up a little animation where I was asking about a back panel. So it's going to be like it, mm, a little bit over six feet tall, and it's like I don't know nine and a half feet wide. And it's got some color in it and it'll have some like things displayed on it. So it should be like a nice little backdrop, kind of like what I was trying to do in the garage a couple months ago. So I think, yeah, that'll kind of help the aesthetic of of the space that I'm in a lot. And it's funny, as I'm building it, I was kind of, the other day I was walking out of the shop and I turned around and like looked at the area where all my tools are and was like, should I reorient that? orient the whole shop this way, like almost rotate it 90 degrees. It might be a better filming direction. So <laughs> I don't know. Oh, just so that your table saw
1: is facing, the direction you cut faces the other part of the warehouse where everything is just storage.
0: Yeah. So so the way it is, is like if you walk in the shop, it's like where it's a functional warehouse slash shipping. I'm only in like, you know, a quarter of the shop or whatever. I don't even know what the percentage is. And I could kind of turn everything... A quarter of a turn so that I'm facing where you enter and I think it might I I might have a more interesting back like it's like a brick wall that's that would be behind me and I'd be able to kind of have more space to get away from like get a little bit more distance because in a way so when I was working in the garage even though the garage was smaller than my workspace I had like everything outside of the garage for setting up camera shots. I could do a lot of like really distance shots that I can't really do anymore. So this would let me almost like if I needed to take the camera outside of the whole workshop and be out just like shooting through a doorway if I needed to. So Mm. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to go through the hassle of doing it, but it was just like something that popped into my head as I turned to look the other day.
1: Awesome. Well, speaking of work spaces Ben, you just put out a video putting out an outdoor what? workshop. What are you calling it? What did you title that video? An open, open air, air workshop. workshop. Oh, man, I was goofing, but I'm right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> open air workshop, which your boy, Modern Builds featured in.
2: Yes. hey And Hey-o. you got to to christen it and use it for... <laughs> Actually, you're the only one that's built inside of it yet.
1: Yeah, and it's working it. out really great. So, yeah, talk us through the project. You hinted at it a little bit on previous projects, but you hadn't finished it yet. So,
2: so out here in the desert, it gets quite hot. The sun's pretty intense, and but we, you know, land is pretty plentiful. So we have this giant. I don't. I guess it's a deck in the backyard of the house that we rented, and it appears by the giant half circle that's uh, <laughs> cut into one side. If I was to to put on my archaeologist hat which would probably look like Indiana Jones. No, uh, it would
1: be the white mullet cat. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> that, that's like my hat for everything. If I was to put on my, my lawyer's wig or <laughs> cat, <laughs> it's just always the same mullet hat. It appears yeah. there used to be an above-ground swimming pool there, which has disappeared over time. So we have this huge deck. It's pretty rough wood, but it's relatively flat. And we kind of just use it for hanging out. So my friends over at uh, the Toya Grid Company... Uh, which is this sort of can't, it's a it's a pretty new company that makes these hardware brackets that work with four by four posts. They sent me a kit, and I went through the whole process of setting it up. They say you should have three people do it, and well, oh, don't come at me like that, bro.
0: <laughs> Challenge accepted.
2: <laughs> yeah. So it was it was cool because I was testing out that product, and I was also testing out uh, the scaffold bench by MetalTech. They had liked that the the loft bed that I did out of the scaffolding did really well, so they sent me this new product to test out, and it was kind of fun. Like, uh, first of all, four ten foot long four by four posts are a lot heavier than I guessed, and. Uh, I just created a series of jigs where I could kind of incrementally lift it up in different parts and got the whole thing up by myself. And then Mike came back just in time to help me put up some siding. And the siding looked really good. We we kept it like straight. Horizontally, all the boards are the same. We just staggered and changed them vertically. So it has a really nice texture going from things like two by sixes to one by threes um, and with everything sort of in between. So now we have this open-air shop that has nice sort of shaded covering. The one thing that we're still trying to work out, which is not specific to actually building, it's perfectly fine for building and construction, is it's so bright out here, and having shade overhead, the sun's always moving and coming in the southern side. So we get some really harsh shadows, which can be a little bit distracting on camera. So we're still working out some strategies for diffusing the light a little bit but still maintaining good airflow it's easy to blow out and it's sort of going to be our woodworking shop oh and dust collection you might ask (laughs) well how about a 40 volt uh, leaf blower and we got mulch everywhere (laughs) in the yard um so hopefully we won't do a lot of plastic or 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 metal projects in there the the only problem it seems to it's taken over part of the little gary the chipmunks habitat so Uh it's disturbed them a little bit but they'll they'll work around it. So that project was, was fun. And Mike and I were talking just about we, how fast some big projects can move. We put up the whole wall, you know, which was 20 feet by about eight feet high of siding. We put that up in about three hours and we were just jamming with, with the, you know, cutting pieces, uh, screwing them to the wall And it was nice because you feel like you're you're getting a lot done you actually feel the time lapse happening (laughs) (laughs) and so it's we, we sort of you know at lunch we sort of talked about how nice it is to kind of mix up things where you're kind of working with more like the fine motor skills and working on small stuff and then switching to something where you're kind of big and moving you know 10 foot long pieces uh but they're all going up really fast and there was no sanding, so how awesome! Yeah. How awesome is that? So that came out great, and other than that, we had a trip to New York, which is part of the reason why we didn't do a podcast last week. But it was worth it for at least for us because uh, we went there for my collaboration with Crazy Glue and the World's Strongest Man, and I think his name is—you say it—it's—it's it's spelled like Half Thor. But he's definitely like a full Thor. He's a full uh, Thor, for, yeah, two Thor. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: he's it's a half Thor, Thor
2: Bjornson, and he's also the the world's uh, reigning strongest man, and he's also plays the mountain in the show Game of Thrones. And Crazy Glue did a really fun event. Jimmy DeResta ended up being there surprise. (laughs) As soon as I get there, I look on the list of the other influencers that are showing up and I'm like, oh, of course, Jimmy DeResta." So we had an impromptu meetup. It was was a lot of fun. Uh, Of course the crazy glue held. And I was like mostly interested in how they actually were going to test the glue. And they make these like little metal pads that they can then attach chains or carabiners or ratchet straps to. And uh, yeah, the other really uh, fun part is I had sent Jesse out to Jimmy Daresta's farm slash ranch slash maker mecca, and her and Brett from Skull and Spades made a... So Thor is sponsored by Rogue, which is one of the big sort of CrossFit and powerlifting weight companies. They make really nice bars and weight plates. So I ordered 45-pound cast iron weight plates, had them set to Jimmy's place, Jesse went out there, and her and Brett uh, made a giant battle axe out of 45-pound weight plates um, to give to Thor as a gift.
1: And it is insane. That thing... Granted, it was a 45-pound plate, and they probably took five, maybe eight pounds out of it. So you end up having this like 40-pound battle axe at the end of a five-foot handle. That
2: thing is no joke. It might be the world's heaviest battle axe, like a... I don't know if there's like a Guinness World Record for that, but I'm you know just gonna claim it. Same way Mike <laughs> says that you know his channel is the greatest oh, yeah. <laughs> DIY YouTube channel in the universe. No this On honor. On Earth. All, on all Earth. I say, yeah, we don't right, know what's not, out there. You're not an Aryan. Yeah. So it it looked really cool, and they haven't tested it as far as I know yet on actually chopping things. But it was funny, like you know thor had to sort of stand in line and take pictures with people he he did that for about two hours but when he saw the battle axe he was like that's that's made from my the weight plates that are my sponsors like he was so so excited um so now we just have to figure out a way to uh, send it to him in iceland which is not going to be cheap but does well fedex send
1: to iceland pardon does fedex send to iceland
2: <laughs> yeah F- Believe this <laughs> out, but f- FedEx. FedEx,
0: <laughs>
1: FedEx, FedEx the-
2: worse. <laughs> I was lobbing you one, man. Yeah. So Set let me, me tell you, uh, let me do old man gripes really go. quick and, and tell you how much FedEx sucks. Uh, they've been sending me a bill for 129 bucks. Not the end of the world, but I'm just like, I never sent anything from them. I've only accepted orders, and I didn't sign anything that said... You know, COD or payment on delivery, mm-hmm. right? So, like, why am I getting this invoice? This has to be a mistake. So I kept ignoring it because I figured eventually they'll figure it out. It's probably an error because I know for a fact I've not used them, uh, and certainly not for anything of that amount. Then they sent me a collection notice and saying that oh, this is going to affect your credit report and stuff like this. I'm like, oh, great. So now yeah, it's finally at the point where you can't ignore it anymore. I still don't know what the the, char- the charge is for, so I call them and have that you know you know that lovely thing where you're on hold, um, yeah, for like an hour and uh, finally talk to a person, which says it's because I uh, it's because a delivery they needed to use a lift gate, and I'm like, yo, that is not on me, and uh, they go, well, you signed for the, the for the delivery, and I'm like, I signed for the delivery, you
0: mean something being delivered to you.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. And so I'm like, I signed for the delivery. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, nowhere on the document that I signed does it say, I agree to pay 129 bucks because you have to use your liftgate. And they're like... But you signed for delivery. And it was just this back and forth thing. So I kept getting louder. And then I'm like, all right, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to start recording me talking to you because I can't record the phone call. And I'm going to start posting this on Instagram after (laughs) I posted the first sort of like hate post that I did. And I'm going to keep doing this until (laughs) you fix this. And so they finally fixed it. it. It's just sad that like it takes like social media threats to like actually get action. And normally I, I I am not a complaining person. Normally I'll just like eat to charge it's not worth it, your time's more important. But this one was so like blatantly undeserved. Like I think Mike, you could hear me from the other room. Like we yeah. just like say <laughs> shouting into the phone. <laughs> um, but yeah, so no FedEx. It I would rather hand deliver it than use that company.
0: Carrier Pigeon.
1: Yeah, carrier pigeon. That's, That's a, a really strong pigeon or do yeah. you just get a whole He's flock a lift of them? Gate. You got a whole flock of them all tied yeah. together somehow.
0: That's going to cost you 129 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> Pigeon
1: fee. <Yeah. laughs> oh, sorry, we had to send the whole flock. My yeah. bad. Yeah, cool. Well, let me tell you about what I've been working on this week. Yeah, Mike, what are you what been kinda, working on? Okay, well, since we've spoken last, the bathroom video is out. It's performing really well. Thank you, everyone, for the great feedback. I greatly appreciate it. I'm thinking about maybe doing a quick follow-up to it on some of the common questions that I got Mm. now that YouTube has released a story feature. Oh, yeah. I think maybe that's a fun way of kind of doing a quick roundup on the common comments that I get or the most frequent questions, and I can just kind of talk with the people that follow me about what I would maybe do differently or some of the problems along the way or... You know how sometimes you just get that stuff that you don't put in the video cuz it's Yeah. It's a mistake that other people maybe wouldn't have commonly made so you're like I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm just going to I'm just going to cover this one up and move on. So
0: uh, Out of curiosity, what is like the common question that you get for that one? For the bathroom? Yeah.
1: Oh, there was a lot of questions about like the tile uh, in general because I forgot to film a real good close-up of the spacers that I used. Uh And I used the same spacers on the floor and the shower, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't get that close-up. So a lot of people were asking me which one specifically I used. So I I threw the the link in the description, but I'd like to be able to talk about them and, and what was good and what was bad about them just because for the floor tiles... What I didn't realize is because I staggered my seams, so Mm -hmm. essentially, they're 12-inch by 24-inch tiles, and they don't meet at four corners. The one ends halfway through where the one next to it starts. like a subway pattern. Exactly. Thank you. And so, I got four-way spacers where they were all supposed to connect, and so it ended up being this whole kind of crazy thing that I had to deal with, Mm -hmm. and I learned how to make them work. Um, So, maybe it would be a helpful tip to someone else, but... Who knows. So check out the Instagram or the YouTube. Sorry. That's going to be that's going to be tough to get used to saying, but YouTube check stories? out the YouTube stories that I post, you know, hopefully later this week and and we'll talk about it. Um but other than that, I've started on a couple furniture projects. Now that I'm back in Joshua Tree, there's some of those functional things that I want to get done before I get started on the school bus, and one of them is just storage. The living room where we have converted the majority of the space into the photo studio slash assembly area Mm -hmm. um the other half of that room has kind of just become storage mostly and so it's got a couple bookcases a bunch of a bunch of everything everywhere and i just wanted to build a nice sleek mid-century modern bookcase that i've been getting a lot of feedback on my sketchup drawing that it looks like something you would make chris
0: all right i've influenced you
1: you, apparently so
0: i didn't i didn't i
1: didn't necessarily draw the inspiration, but I can see it now that people are saying it yeah. um,
0: I, I don't think I have a uh, stake claim in that, no. that <laughs> segment I think there's other people who do it too but I do tapers no one else does tapers i invented the taper damn it yeah so but but what is cool is
1: with this base that i'm doing for the for the bookcase it's really scalable, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I knew the final height that I wanted the bookcase to be, but I wasn't sure how tall I wanted the leg assembly to be. So I made a SketchUp file of three different sizes, one at nine inches, one at six inches, and one at 12 inches. Mm -hmm. And I ended up picking the nine-inch tall leg assembly. Goldilocks. But the the cool thing about it is, yeah, exactly, Goldilocks. The cool thing about it, though, is that the six-inch one and the 12-inch one both looked really good. And so it was kind of encouraging that I could do a real low-profile media console and kind of take that same basic right. base, or I could do something a little higher like a coffee table, and it could all translate to make this matching set of simple plywood furniture. So I'm excited for that. So look forward to that video. We'll take it. Awesome. So what uh, what do we want to talk about this week? Do you guys have anything, any questions that you've been getting on your Instagram or any uh, any anything that's... Come to mind lately?
0: Um, no Ooh, questions. Got, oh, okay. go I'm for it. Go for it.
1: Because if you guys don't, I've got one, and okay. it's it's a. I guess I could have used this as my obsession this week, but I think it could kind of spawn off a little, you know, rabbit trail of a conversation. Okay. And that is, I modeled the leg assembly for this bookcase in SketchUp, and it uses three basic angles: a fifteen-degree angle, a sixty-degree angle, and a forty-five-degree angle. That's all mm-hmm. that. That's all that's involved. And up until this point. I had never used any kind of combination square that would allow me to mark out 30 or 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. And so I just walked to Harbor Freight. I drove there. And <laughs> I picked up... It's <laughs> <to> Harbor Freight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I picked up this tool called a, called a multi-square, which after Googling, I think really Harbor Freight is the only people that sell it because it it's really cheap and it's really rudimentary, but it, it did what I needed it to do and it uh-huh. was only about 10 bucks. But essentially... It's a multi-angle combination square that's just really easy to set and, and and use. And so my question is this. This is a tool that is basically going to allow me to make a lot more tapered and angular designs and it only costs $10. Are there any other tools that you guys have used that either have such a low price point or have such a like such an ability to open open the door to different designs? I need to. I wanna, that's, that's reminiscent to this.
0: I want to see a picture of it, but uh-huh. I was going to say, so the thing that I've always used to do the same thing, if you go to like art supply stores, you can get, they have like, I don't know if they call them maybe like drafting triangles, but mm, it'll be a okay. triangle that has like, there'll be one that's like a 30, 60, 90 combination. Then they'll have ones that are 45 and then they would, they'd be lumped in with like protractors, that kind of stuff. So I've always used that. And it's like big enough to kind of like get you to start the line off. And then I'll just use a ruler or whatever to complete it. I don't know if this has like the way that a speed square would have a lip on it so that you can it like, it does. Okay. So yeah, that would make what you're talking about then a little bit more useful. I saw you just sent a link. So yeah, check it out. Let me check it out. Yeah, let's. So it has. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is almost like the digital angle gauge that I have. It's just like a non-digital Okay, so that's, so yeah, that was one of my questions that I was going to
1: ask you. So, yeah. this is obviously kind of something that Harbor Freight has kind of put together. It's not like a traditional tool. Mm-hmm. So, for the listeners that might be interested, like, what is the traditional tool that would that would allow someone to do the same thing?
0: Yeah, so they make a, there's a lot of, like, digital angle gauges out there that you'll find. I, I have one of those that I use a little bit, although what I've used more frequently is uh, Woodpeckers makes this one, so there's a small one, and they call it a boat builder's gauge I think something like that and then they have this really big one it's kind of expensive but it's really nice where it's basically this same sort of idea as what you have here so just picture for people that are listening a um so this has a lock on it i see with like that little thumb nut or whatever yep so it it's basically just two pieces of metal that are on a hinge that can rotate 360 degrees that you can lock into any angle so the woodpecker's one would come with this big plate that has like every angle etched into it and then it, it mounts up perfect so that the base of it and the like knife part of it for lack of a better word are perfectly flush so that you can set them on a table and you would unlock it and then you would just open it to whatever angle you want and lock it down and so that has been really helpful for me on projects when you want to do more like weird angles which it looks like what this is good for too
1: but when you need that like 12 and a half degree angle when you're trying to get it a little bit more precise that's where like that comes in
0: right and so what's good is because anytime that you're working on a project or frequently when you're working on a project with a weird angle like this it'll be duplicated lots of places so being able to like lock it in i don't know how well this thing locks in but like that was always one of the problems with the digital angle gauges you can lock it but it's not very robust like if you knocked it on something it's gonna it's gonna come out of where you locked it but the woodpecker's ones it's like Once it's locked in there, it's locked in there unless you're like hitting it with a hammer. So you can kind of lock it in and just leave it there for the whole project. And then you have that to like quickly put onto any piece that you're working on and and match that angle.
1: Man, that's pretty cool. And what was that called? It was from Woodpeckers, but it was called what?
0: The small one's called a boat bevel gauge, I want to call it. The big one, let me go look it up and I'll tell you, you guys.
1: (laughs) All right, cool. Well, what about you, Ben? Are there any tools maybe that you had back in the day from like more drafting and architectural stuff
2: that would translate in a similar fashion? Architectural drafting tools are awesome, but I think the thing that I would... Actually, I need to go get one would be the uh, the lead holders. It's like the architectural version of a mechanical pencil, but it's a more robust mechanical pencil where the lead is about three times thicker than and it's it's you can sharpen the lead itself, whereas a typical mechanical pencil, the lead is so thin Mm. that it's unsharpenable. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking it up right
1: now. Yeah, that's really, really cool. It's like three times as thick as a normal piece of lead.
2: Right. And it has like a little like pincher at the end. So I would say that would be a really good one. Would be it's sort of like a hybrid between a shop pencil and a mechanical pencil. And then the lead's interchangeable and they have a whole bunch of different like lead hardnesses you were experimenting or experiencing a little bit today of like sometimes your pencil lines if they're a little bit too harsh yeah. and you're working <laughs> with like a thin veneer plywood it can you know you you're, if you're trying to sand them off you could risk going through the veneer which would be terrible so that'd be the one that i'd bring over they have a lot of tools related to uh like mat boards and because architectural in architecture school, you're you're making models and doing sort of drafting. So those would be the things I would sort of look at. The they also have model making supplies often. So they'll sell thin sheets of basswood and stuff like that, which is stuff that you would more associate. It's like a really clean, modern looking version of a craft store if you go into an architectural supply place. Yeah. Um, for people in the LA area, the architectural supply store at uh, CyArk the Southern California Institute of Architecture has a lot of fun stuff, um, so uh, worth checking out. The other thing that I would say is, and, and this would be the cheapest tool that I would say makes a big difference, is a pencil sharpener, if you use normal pencils, or a mechanical pencil, because the thickness of lines matter. Uh, and that's where you get those like little sixteenths of an inch uh, off. So those would be, those would be my, uh, my suggestions. But we do have a question
0: Awesome. Uh, Let's hear it. Hashtag thick lines matter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is from Tyler Miller, 88, on Instagram. What's up, Tyler? I was listening to the podcast episode 59. A classic. Where you talk a lot about sponsors and sponsored content. Many people perceive sponsored content as sell-out because you are working with a product that you may or may not approve of, mm-hmm. but you are doing the video simply because it pays. What are your thoughts on that? Ooh, I'm going to go first on this one. Oh, boy. <laughs> do you guys only work with sponsors that you truly love, or do you sometimes take sponsors just because of compensation? So, first of all, thanks for the question, Tyler. Awesome. When people say many people perceive, I often think it's that kind of reporter thing. People are saying... Many (laughs) vocal
0: people. (laughs) Word on the street.
2: So, uh, it is rare in life that you do exactly what you want in the most indulgent way that meets all of your expectations and you get paid for it. Mm. I would never... Like, there... I've met a lot of people that do really cool things that are incredibly passionate about their work. But every single one of them that I've met can tell you, even though they really love their work, they can tell you 10 things that really annoy them about their work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might be a coworker. It might be these parts. There are parts to anything about uh, uh, family relationships where you can really like parts of it. And there's still annoying parts for me. It's, Sometimes the sponsors are great and they're a great part of it and sometimes they're an annoying part, but it's an important part for building upon the opportunities that I want that are part of me pursuing what I'm passionate about. So I think the, 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 the disconnect here is the many people he's talking about that perceive it as sellout. Have a totally different viewpoint on content, and they're saying, uh, these are the kind of people that led to like seedless watermelons. I just want watermelon, I don't want seeds. And they're like, Well, if all watermelons were seedless, there would be no watermelons because they're not like viable <laughs> for reproduce. reproduction. <laughs>
0: yeah, and a lot of melon talk on this podcast,
2: right? As it yeah, should be, we're, we're big on the melons, but f- cantaloupes, they suck. Uh, don't uh, ever say podcast.
0: that. And honeydew, uh, get out of here. I will
1: defend cantaloupes as much as you will defend your FedEx experience.
2: Right. <laughs> so it's not that, I, I, I think if, if you would have asked me a couple years ago, I might have given a more flippant answer and said like, well, I just don't care what those people think. They, they think about it too simplistically. Um, I do care what the audience thinks, but I don't care what all of the audience thinks. I care what the more nuanced and what I perceive as the smarter part of the audience thinks. Right. So there has been plenty of projects where I have done sponsorship things that weren't well integrated and the the project maybe or that piece of content didn't turn out as well as it should have. And I probably should have said uh, no to it. There's definitely, I can think of like a handful, not not more than that, but maybe like five or six cases over the last three years where I "Eh, probably shouldn't have done that one. But the idea of that, doing something that you're interested in or producing something that's supposed to communicate and speak to other people is separate from commerce to me is like I just completely don't subscribe to that uh I uh, you know <laughs> and it's funny that this this comes so often on the internet which is completely built upon if you look at like all the marketing and media models on the the internet it's built upon product placement, selling ads. It's the whole concept of media is to create awareness and opportunities to slide in ads. So no, I don't worry about selling out. I worry about creating and mixing and matching the right amount of uh, uh, sponsors with the right amount of uh, content. And it's something I want to get better and better and better at. The Crazy Glue example was, was a really fun one. And I think... The exciting thing isn't just that us as sort of influencers and content producers are getting bigger and better opportunities, but a lot of the brands are tailoring things more and more to exactly what we do. And they created a really fun event, got to run into friends like Jimmy, Mike got to come, Uh, got to meet the world's strongest man, so... I don't think of that as selling out. I think of that as acquiring access to something that wouldn't have happened if I didn't answer uh, requests from from sponsors. So, no, I don't love every product that I do. But I like the idea of trying new things. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes they're amazing. We just had a butcher box the other day fantastic i love meat i wouldn't have tried it otherwise <laughs> it was great and <laughs> it actually was delicious as mike said best chicken he's ever had um, so don't quote me on that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be my ad it's just a picture of mike saying best chicken i've <laughs> exactly, ever had exactly
1: that's what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. So, mike I know. so i don't i don't
2: i don't think art and commerce have ever been separated like ever like if you go back to the the renaissance and you look at like the, the the most famous artists. They were commissioned by individuals. Is it a sellout because they had to paint portraits of some rich asshole that they didn't really like, and they really wanted to paint this the, their 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 friends who were who didn't have any money? Is doing commission work for clients that you don't like selling out? If anything, uh, I felt like I was selling out more when. Projects were initiated by someone else when I was doing architectural work, which involved no product placement and no advertising or anything like that. If I had to, if, if the beginning part for my ideas come from someone else, to me that's more the sellout. And how I look at things, it's not my place to tell someone else when they're selling out. It's my place to say I like consuming your content or I don't like consuming it. But that the whatever way they're monetizing it is part and parcel for that content.
0: I kind of agree with what you were saying about as long as, well, first off, okay, so love is a strong word for, for all of the brands that we work with. That said, I'm glad to say that I've gotten to a point where there's enough opportunities that if there's something that I really don't wanna do, I don't have to do it because there's other opportunities to fill it in. You know, I'm not dependent on that so much. So of any brand that I have ever worked with and hopefully will ever work with going forward. I either am already familiar with them and really like them, or I'm kind of indifferent on them and don't really know much about them, but I'm willing to give them a shot. And if it was something that like I hated and I was just like, I can't recommend this to people. I would back out of it. I would say like, look, I don't feel comfortable saying these things about this. And you know, we would take it from there. That's never happened. Um, anything that I think isn't a good fit. I just try to cut it off as it comes in. I actually had an interesting conversation with somebody recently about what Ben was just talking about. And that's the, I think that, yeah, it's not selling out as long as you're still doing what you're interested in doing and doing the things you would be doing otherwise. Um, even with the projects where whatever it is that you're, that's, Um, Sponsoring that video is somewhat dictating what you're doing. I still don't think it's a sellout as long as you're, as long as it's just like a jumping off point where it's like, okay, I'm going to think about what I'm going to build with this coming from this perspective. So, like the cricket one that I just did is a good example of that where.
1: Yeah, that's a great example of you just selling out big time.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, it's a project that I probably would not have done if it weren't for that opportunity. Right. That said, they didn't say, we want you to do this. They just said, we want you to do something with the cricket. And I thought, okay, how can I how can I incorporate this into something that I would do rather than just making some project that is like nothing that I would normally make. And so it's like, okay, well, let's see if I can just like add to a piece that I've already built. So I did the, the wireless charging nightstand. I did the drawer with the pool. And that gave me the opportunity to kind of incorporate it into my workflow. And so somebody wrote me a message Basically calling me out on it for that reason, saying like, oh, this seemed like a forced project. And that's the only reason you did this.
2: That was me for my burner account.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was Kevin Durant. Uh, <laughs> no, so, um, but he he said it in a respectful way, it, more respectful than even how I just put it right there. And so we started talking and went back and forth a few times. And he was kind of like giving his impressions of the outsider's perspective of what influencer marketing is and he was even referencing this article that he had recently read I think it was in Wired magazine he sent me a link to it and I read through the whole thing and it was funny it was like so it almost like painted the content creators or or influencers or whatever you call them as like this mafia that has all this power and it's like, oh, if you don't do this, then we're going to badmouth this company like Ben with FedEx. Uh, And so you better listen to us. No, but it was like the article was like so biased going in. um, And it was following this one person's perspective. She was, she made like fake eyelashes or something and whatever it was. It was in the beauty segment and it it just was nothing even close to what I've seen in my experiences or through the people that I know you guys and, and other People in the same niche—it just wasn't realistic to that situation at all. And so, I, th- I think we had a good—I I understood what he was saying, how it could look. But, and I think that he got a sense of where I was coming from after emailing back and forth a couple times. Um, the comments that kind of get to me a little bit, like I actually had one recently for the Rockler thing, is where people say, like, "I used to really love your stuff, but now." it all just seems like a big advertisement or you're selling out or whatever. And I, I just thought like, if you actually, I think most people who like our stuff and are fans of it, like they like your work and hopefully if they watch enough videos, they start to like you and they root for you. And I think that if they are in that frame of mind, then seeing you do well and you know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing anything to sell out, but the more that they see me do, I feel like they should be like, Oh, awesome. He's, Getting He's better. He's getting more that's opportunities. Awesome. Yeah. So I think it's, that says more about that person, I think, than it says about what I'm doing. If I'm getting it from all over the place, okay, now I know maybe I'm doing something wrong and it's time to look in the mirror. But I feel like if that's the comment that people have, it's almost like there's some, I don't want to say jealousy, but like a misery loves company frame of mind of like, oh, if they're doing better, then that puts me in a relatively lower place. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My perspective is really similar to your guys. So I'm not going to harp on it for too long. But yeah, if selling out is taking a sponsor, then the bar is really low. And I think, you know, doing what we're doing, there is absolutely potential for selling out working with brands that you either don't like or would never work with otherwise um, and portraying it like you were. So I'm going to use a for example for mine. Gorilla Glue is a really good sponsor for me. They're great. And I genuinely think, for a specific reason, that they're the best wood glue for me. And that is just because it dries to a color closest to the color of natural wood. So unlike other brands that I won't mention that tend to dry really yellow, Gorilla Glue dries just a little bit more brown. And so when I say, like, and I'm using Gorilla Glue, my favorite wood glue, or whatever it is, like, that's honest. That's not me selling out. Um, I wouldn't say that otherwise. Now, there are every once in a while when... Okay, here's one. Here's, here's what I would consider. If you're going to call me a sellout, this is where I sold out. Battle I'm going to be so shit. honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, took a, I took a sponsor twice for a mobile video game. Do I feel bad about it? Absolutely not. Because, for one, like, like what we said, the internet is literally built on advertising. If reading an ad for a mobile game is any different than a pre-roll ad that YouTube would serve you, I don't understand it, right? Every Mm -hmm. TV show goes to commercial break. Every other thing goes to commercial break. I'm not saying like, hey, I'm using vikings the video game to build this table and it's integral to my building process i'm saying like hey this is a game it exists if you want to play it the link is in the description thank you to them for supporting my channel Mm -hmm. and so as long as as long as it keeps transactional like that when it needs to be transactional for when it needs to be and then other times when it is anecdotal and you're explaining your experience like you with the cricket where you're like hey i probably wouldn't have bought this but i have it now and this is why it's useful to me Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome and so I don't think anybody in our space is really selling out but it's just hey when you get an opportunity you've got to do that and I and I'm very open in saying my rate for a video game sponsor is considerably higher than my rate for you know someone like another brand that I've mentioned right and that's because you know for it to be worth me promoting there there is a higher cost to that because I know it's not directly integrated but no it's not selling out it's literally like Putting money in your pocket so that you can do bigger projects and that you can keep the business alive. Because let's be real. If we were all surviving off of the YouTube AdSense money, we would be surviving, but we would be living.
0: uh, It'd be less than minimum wage.
1: It would be less than minimum wage. That's a great way to say it. Thank you. And so, yeah, to to put it into the whole conversation... Like I got I got like a Oh okay. Okay, then go ahead cuz I was I was going to close it out.
2: I got more too. W- when I get these points from people, I always wonder like it makes me want to go to their Instagram and say, "Oh, there's a picture of you at the holiday Christmas party. Well, you work there and you get paid. So you're not really friends with those people. So you're a sellout. You're a fake. You don't really care about those people. Those aren't your real friends. You're just doing that because that's where your money comes from. You're just kissing ass to your boss. You're like you're, you're a not piece even of shit. What a about sellout, retail. Yeah. like fake yeah. person. Like you just
1: wanted to make sure you tagged your boss. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's an incredibly It's a slippery slope. I am so like, bring on critical insight about the way I conduct my business. I love to talk about this stuff. It's it's interesting to me. I, I'm uh, Even though I don't enjoy practicing all parts of it, I love thinking about it. I love thinking about how I can be better at it. So if you have a, have a way that you can uh, look at what I'm doing business-wise and give me some insight and, and things that would make it better, bring it on. Even if it sounds really mean, like I am so open to it. But... I will shoot down your simplistic view of the world that sounds like it comes from the mind of a 10-year-old. Well, it's either this or it's this. It's either free the way I like it or you're a sellout. No, bro, that's, that's <laughs> you're an idiot. That's, yeah. that's like saying, it's like people that would think that a movie was good just because it was an independent movie. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That's not the case. There are some independent movies that are really boring and really dull and bad. And there are some that are really good. The same way, there's some mainstream blockbuster movies that are actually pretty fucking amazing. And it doesn't have to be both. And if your way of discerning value is a category that has nothing to actually do with quality, you're a simplistic fool and you're going to miss out on a lot of good stuff because you're labeling things instead of actually critically evaluating them.
0: Yep. You know, one thing I'll say is that I am very conscious of recommending things. And for that right. same reason, I'll almost never badmouth anything because I'm worried about like what kind of weight it could carry in some people's minds. You know, they might consider me more of an expert than I consider myself and, and might put more value in it. And so, you know, you never know if like it was my fault that something didn't go right. I got one bad example of something. So I'm very conscious of that and I don't know if I've ever speak to negatively about anything, but I try not to. And even speaking positively about things, even for, you know, woodpeckers, Haikoki, brands that sponsor me. I try to give when people give me ask me questions, I give very nuanced advice about like their situation. Well, you know, if you're looking for this, this is good. I'll never just say like, this is the best. You got to get this thing, whatever, because I don't want them to you know, spend their money and then not be satisfied. So I like to just like give the information and try to help them make whatever decisions best for them. And that even goes for maker brand stuff. Like I get a ton of questions about the finish and I'll never just say like, yes, just to get somebody to buy it it on everything. (laughs) Yeah. Just put it on your pancakes. Uh, no, because I want them to, if they follow my advice and decide to do something, I want them to like go in there with as much information as they have so that they're super happy about what they're experiencing and they say, oh man, that was a great recommendation. That was everything that he said. And if I, if there's any chance that I think that, no, nah, this isn't really for them or they're going to be disappointed, I'll try to talk them out of it.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Oh, I can think I of have, my greatest I, sellout. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I thought of it. Uh, and it's because of the time of the year. There's been two times where... <laughs> The creative direction was almost completely dictated to me, uh, and it was to do, like, Christmas tree projects. Oh. Because that's a project type that I would normally never do unless the brand sort of insisted on it. Right. Because you celebrate Festivus, right? (laughs) Get that pole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're a Festivus guy. We're Uh, a Festivus family. So... Uh, that's the case. But the, the other reason why I think even by their simplistic notion of what a sellout is, that would imply that the, the creative control is in the hands of the marketer or the brand. And that's very, very rarely the case. The only two times it's happened with me has been doing Christmas projects. So if anything, it's a pretty direct transaction of, of attention versus monetization. And that's what every type of media is that. And if you use Patreon and don't have any ads, well, then you spend your time selling your Patreon account. And that normally takes about the same amount of time as an ad read would. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's all about having a clean relationship with my audience. Uh, And I like sort of having a a unfinancially beholding relationship with my audience or at least where it's indirectly. Um, and it's why I don't like putting all my eggs in one basket. Cause then I'm tailoring everything that I'm doing to that. To me, the biggest thing I, that I would, I would find sort of selling out would be if I focus just on making money on one platform, that would have a bigger impact on my creative decisions than anything else working with any brand. If I only worked on YouTube, that would make me look at what projects had done well on YouTube and push towards those sort of creative decisions. Um, But no, I want to make the things that I want and I want to get paid a lot of money to do it. And I'm going to use every single platform and everything, uh, every opportunity I have to get more cool design opportunities so I can learn at a faster rate. And I'm thinking of this whole thing as like a giant chessboard where there's new platforms coming. I just uploaded a video uh, that I normally would to YouTube to fa- to Facebook. Why? Because I'm seeing more opportunity right there uh, for this particular piece of content than YouTube. That's, I mean, sell out. I don't know if that's. The if world that's is changing. Sell- <laughs> right. But what I like about that is maybe a different type of project we'll do differently on Facebook yeah. and that'll create different opportunities and then I can pick and choose when I have an idea that I really want to do. What's the right platform that allow me to do that idea the way that I want? And that involves making money, too.
1: Yeah, this is, I think at the end of the day, it's just options, right? The yeah. more options you have, the more creative you can be. And the more creative you can be, the cooler content you can make. So there you go. Oh, I can Oh, I can think of one time that I bad mouthed. And that is whenever oh. I ran through two Harbor Freight angle grinders in one day.
0: That, that Harbor Freight's different. You can talk. <laughs>
1: you can talk crap on Harbor Freight all day because
0: oh, uh, Applebee's too.
1: Right, yeah. and Applebee's.
2: Well, Harbor Freight is like complaining about like not feeling well after eating a whole bunch of Taco Bell. Like it was still really enjoyable and amazing. Like I love ta- Harbor Freight. <laughs> it's they a have short-term garbage stuff, but like I still like it, and it's and you know what you're getting. It's not yeah, right. deceiving. What would be really disappointing is if you spent a lot of money on a Festool and it crapped out. Totally,
1: yeah. I, I have the mindset in, in the, a few things in my life. I have this mindset, but, but specifically with Harbor Freight is going with low expectations and be pleasantly surprised when it works well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise, you just expect it not to be great, like the like the multi square. I was pleasantly surprised, like how well it worked and it was really accurate and it and it did everything I needed and it cost five ninety nine. That's a deal. Tell me where you are going to get something that's going to do all that for five ninety nine. Ninety nine cent store. Nope. nope. I checked. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a little bit different than what we normally do, but still, hope it gave you a little bit of insight into our creative process and why we do the things we do and why we work with the brands that we work with. Um, If you have any questions or topic suggestions, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com or just send us a DM on Instagram. We are at modernbuilds. That's me at Benjamin Ueda if you could guess it that's Chris Yep, me. (laughs) (laughs) and finally Chris is at four eyes furniture so uh be sure follow us there we're posting all the time and if you want to find us on Facebook do that too because apparently Ben's posting there so hell yeah just kidding we're all going to be posting there uh it's it is what it is why not my
2: army of Russian bots post for me
1: there we go so thanks again
2: they're sellouts (laughs)
1: Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya.
2: Bye.